Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast, a special podcast series led by registered dietitian and nutritionist Lisa Jones. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions for Consultant 360. Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast where we communicate the information you need to know now about the science, psychology, and strategies behind the practice of dietetics. Today's episode is Nutrition for Infants and Children, and I am happy that my guest today is Melina Malkani. Hi, Melina. Hello. How are you, Lisa? <laughs> I'm doing well. I want to go over your bio, you have a lot of amazing experience. So I want to take the time to do that. Oh, thank Melina, you. It's so good to be here. Yes. Melina is a registered dietitian, best-selling author, speaker, and single mom of three behind the Instagram and TikTok handle, healthy mom, healthy kids. I'm also one of your followers, Melina. Ah, oh, <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> yeah. A, a top nutrition influencer and trusted expert in local and national media outlets. Melina owns a nutrition consulting company and private practice, and we will put your website in the details so everyone can go check that out. And your website is dedicated to helping parents feed their babies and kids with confidence, which I love because everybody wants to have confidence when feeding their children. Because I know a lot of times, even as a dietitian, I struggle and I'm like, what would Melina say? And then I go on your website. So, there you you go. are so sweet. <laughs> I love hearing that. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want to talk, Melina, do you want to talk real quick about a little bit more about your expertise and background about how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a, a lot of where I am today has to do with my own personal experiences in feeding babies. I have, I have three girls. They are now nine, 11 and 13, but they were born within about three and a half years of each other. And, you know, I spent, I just spent a lot of time, you know, with one, one kid on my hip and another toddler racing around the kitchen on a <laughs> ride on toy and another <laughs> one in a little seat and, and just, you know, tearing my hair out, trying to feed them. And we kind of, we ran the gamut. We had a lot of, a lot of challenges during those early years, whether it was, you know, back-to-back C-sections and infant reflux and really big issues with breastfeeding and a really hard time with it, picky eating and all the, all the good, all the good stuff, all the heavy hitters. <laughs> um, so as I sort of emerged from that period of time, I really felt called to help other parents navigate these waters because they can be really tricky. And it's, it's really hard sometimes to feel confident about the food choices that you're making and not only the what, but, but also the how. Especially when they don't want to eat what you're making and they don't want to eat their vegetables. I have that problem all the time right now. So yes, <laughs> yes such yes. great tips. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. And I think we, as parents, you know, we're so programmed to nourish our babies and our kids and, and, you know, help give them the nutrients that they need to thrive and grow. And so when you have a baby or a toddler or a child who doesn't eat the food that you just put all this effort yeah. into making and thinking about and, and preparing for them, it's really frustrating. So it's a, 
it's definitely, it's, it's definitely one of the, I think it, when it comes to parenting, there's sort of two major areas where I see a lot of stress. One is sleep and one is food. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm here for you in the food department. Yes. And we need another episode to talk about sleep, but that is such a great point that you bring up. Yeah. And my first question is for you today, what is the most common question that you receive from parents about feeding their children? So, you know, hands down in terms of what is a, a source of stress and also a barrier to starting solids that I see among my followers and in my private practice is a question that goes something like this. How do I deal with and reduce my own fear and stress around gagging and choking as I think about starting solids with my baby and with baby led weaning in particular. And I, I'm a big, big fan of baby led weaning. I, I've written a book called Simple and Safe Baby Led Weaning, which is a, a guide to getting started with it. And it's a wonderful method of starting solids. But I do think that it there there is a lot of fear and misunderstanding around it. And in terms of how to offer finger food safely to babies during this stage at about six, starting at about six months of age when they're showing the signs of readiness for solids. And fear of gagging and choking seems to be a real theme that sort of, yeah, runs through a, a lot of the parents that I come in contact with. Yes. And even I can speak as a, a mom, I'm a four-year-old. Like I still worry about that. I'm like, you know, that's that piece that you just put in your mouth is too big. Like take it back out, cut it up. Yes. So yes. You're constantly worrying. <laughs> like, what do I do? It's true. You know, I have to, I hate to break it to you. I, I, and I tell this to my followers all the time there, you know, there are some babies that overstuff the mouth yeah. um, and this can happen for a variety of different reasons, but in some kids that continues. <laughs> and I, my 11 year old, my middle child, I constantly have to remind her, you know, you, you don't have to fit that much all in there all at once. You can take smaller <laughs> bites. It's okay. Food's not going anywhere. That There's a bit of a propensity for that in some kids. But I think the gagging is really, it, it's, it's very, it can be very alarming to, to, especially to new parents who haven't seen it before. Because it, when you start offering solids to your baby, it's such a shift in the way that you've been feeding your baby up until that point. They've been on a completely liquid diet and then suddenly you're introducing food and, and there's a learning curve to learning yeah. how to eat and swallow and breathe and, and chew and all of it all at the same time. Like it takes time to learn that. So it can be alarming at first. And then that leads me into my next question because I'm always wondering about what are some of the common misconceptions about feeding infants and children? And then just taking it a step further, a second part to that question is you, you probably work with a lot of physicians like pedi pediatricians and primary care physicians working in tandem with the clients that you're serving. So what would you say are those common misconceptions? And then that probably go to the physicians too, that you may, you may yeah. hear from them as well. Yeah, there's so many, unfortunately. Oh, there's so many. I have a whole series of reels on all these different myths and misconceptions around infant feeding. And part of the part of the reason for that is that the, there's been such seismic shifts in pediatric feeding guidelines throughout the past 10, 20 years. I mean, to, like total 180 
in, in different, many different areas of infant feeding, whether it's when to introduce top allergenic foods, what sorts of foods to start with, when to start, really big changes in the guidelines. One of the biggest myths and misconceptions that can have long lasting effects is that top allergenic foods, the top nine allergens should be avoided throughout infancy. New research actually shows that that introducing top allergenic foods early and often during infancy, starting around six months of age, sometimes a little bit earlier, depending on the baby's level of risk, helps reduce the likelihood of food allergies. So that, that's such a shift. Unfortunately, there's, there's even actually research looking at the number of pediatricians who are implementing the changes in those guidelines. And at this point, this was a 2020 survey in JAMA showed that only about a third of pediatricians are fully implementing those guidelines. Oh, wow. So I know, and there are some wonderful ones out there who are out there pounding on the table, just like I am about the, the importance <laughs> of early introduction of top allergens. But, you know, it takes time for changes in guidelines to trickle down to everybody. And unfortunately that one has not reached the masses yet. Yeah. That's such a great point that you bring up because it's my pediatrician, I think is part of that one third, because it, I remember when my daughter was about that age, she was like, okay, well, you're going to go try peanut butter. My recommendation is to just drive up to the urgent care and like give her some peanut butter and then like yeah. hang out in your car for 30 minutes. Yes. <laughs> like, I've okay. heard that so many times. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. How impractical, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, what? That's okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it's it that's unfortunate. And and you know, I really I get it. They p- pediatricians have so much to get their arms around and they have so little time to do their assessments. So little time with with each patient and they just have so many things to address and feeding is a really important one, but the changes are it's it's tough to keep up with all of it. So you know, that's where we come in, right? We yes. as the as the food and nutrition experts, that's that's our our job to help spread this important information. Another one that just continues to circulate is that rice cereal is the best first food with which to begin solids. And I think, you know, there, when I pull my audience on Instagram or, or talk to clients, they tell me that, you know, many of them tell me that it's not just pediatricians who are recommending rice cereal. It's Aunt Tilly and, you know, their grandmother (laughs) and their mom, because this has been the cultural norm for so long. Many people just assume it's the best way to start, but there's a lot of, a lot of reasons why rice cereal is actually not the best first food with which to begin. It's nutrient poor. It's very bland and uniform in texture. And we've got some great new research showing that offering a a variety of foods and flavors and textures early on helps expand a baby's palate and prevent some of those picky eating behaviors down the road. Rice cereal is filling. It can end up replacing some of those really nutrient-rich options in a baby's diet. But I think maybe the most compelling reason why it's not an ideal early food for infants is that Rice and rice-based foods tend to contain elevated levels of arsenic, which is a toxic metal. So why would we make that a first (laughs) food for a baby whose body is so small 
you know, so we, we do our best trying to disseminate the best, the best information that we can and get it to as many people as possible. So hopefully your listeners can help us to do that. Yes. And I love what you said about expanding the baby's palate. And when I think of rice cereal, that's not the connection I'm making. Right. <laughs> so it's kind right. of like the other things that you were saying in terms of, you know, they're, you're, if you're expanding, you're like, you're allowing them to taste, like there has to be diversity there and rice cereal kind of like, eh, do I really want to yeah. eat the rice cereal? No. If I was a baby looking at that, I'd be like, give me something else. Exactly. And, you know, I, I love that you just pointed out that in terms of diversity, if we, we, what, we, what we're really looking for here is variety and diet diversity is rice cereal bad. Is it a bad food? No, we don't want to demonize it, but there's a place for it. It's fortified with iron. Iron is a really essential nutrient, especially around that six month mark when baby's iron stores are low, but Oh, and, and it, it can be something that if you're trying to get some of those top allergenic foods in infant safe forms into a baby during infancy, rice cereal can be a vehicle with which to mix, you know, a little bit of peanut protein or peanut powder or, or egg or, or a little bit of milk or something. But in general, it's not, there are options like oat cereal or barley or wheat or quinoa that are more nutrient rich and less likely to have the toxic metal content. Yes. Diversity, keeping that, trying new things. And the baby gets excited there. They want to explore. Yes, totally. They don't want bland. Totally. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, <laughs> Thank you I for agree. sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what have been some of your successes that will help other colleagues that are working with this particular population? Oh gosh. Well, I think that part of part, part of why my resources may resonate with my audience is that I'm constantly reminding parents that babies are each on their own unique timeline. Every baby is really different. And we, even within a, a singular family, and milestones are wonderful and they're there to give us a general idea of what to expect and when. But I think that as practitioners, we can help reduce a lot of parental stress by helping new parents realize and remember that each baby is on their own unique journey and timeline. And what worked well for one may not work well for another, like I said, even within the same family. And if there's anything that, that new parents have to, to wrestle with right now, it is stress. I mean, holy moly, there's so much stress in their lives. And if we can reduce that by helping reframe and, and educate, I think we're doing a lot of good. I couldn't agree more with that. I really love that you said they're each is on their own journey. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the individualization of it. And because it's a customizable, but it's their own journey. Like there's not like, even if you had like twins, you would still have, you wouldn't be trying to, maybe they like something different, even though they're twins. Yeah. Yeah. And, and while the milestones and sort of, you know, these times and, and sort of developmental signs of readiness and, and, uh, and milestones is the best word for them are great and helpful. They also, I find they also end up causing families a lot of stress and I'll have people reach out to me saying, well, I, know I heard I'm supposed to start solids right at six months, but my baby's not sitting up, you know, adequately yet or, or whatever it is. And, and it's, it's really empowering to say to a parent, you know, 
infants are developing so rapidly at this phase, it's okay to take a step back, take a week, just give your baby a chance to develop at his or her own rate. And it's not a race, like it's going to be okay. You know, <laughs> um, I think that can be really helpful because we did, we're just so programmed to be where we think we're supposed to be at a certain given time. And yeah. it's just not the case. So, so true. Cause like, you know, when you go to the pediatrician and they check in and then they give you that piece of paper and you're like, here's where your kid's supposed to be. And you're like, well, she's not doing this yet. Should I be concerned? So yeah. I think giving, yeah. gi giving the grace to say, okay, well, maybe they don't have to be there yet. This is the point where you need to worry and maybe contact early intervention, but until then you're fine. It'll yes. happen. Yes. Yep. That's a really good point. So what would you say is on the horizon for infant and child nutrition? Are there any new research, new interventions, anything that's coming that, you know, futuristic type things that you can discuss with us? Well, food allergy prevention is an emerging area of research that has just, it has really exploded in the past decade or two, and it's growing constantly. And in my opinion, it has the capacity to dramatically change the trajectory of so many people's lives. Food allergies are so hard. They're stressful. Talk about stress. Um, and they, they're costly. They cost the average American family more than $4,000 per year per child. So as practitioners, I would really love to see folks stay on top of it, make sure that the recommendations that you're giving are in line with the latest research, because in particular, food allergy prevention works, but only during a very short window of time during infancy, as far as we know so far. And so we want to make sure that as many families as possible are aware of this and can benefit from it. And like I mentioned before, we have a ways to go. We have, we have a ways to go in terms of making this the cultural norms. I still, you know, I'll still hear from people who, when I talk about peanut and egg being some of the, the first, you know, early, early foods for babies, they look at me like I have three heads. Like, I, well, will you give peanut to a baby? Well, yeah, there are ways to prepare it, of course. So it's in an infant safe form that is going to have a, a much lower choking risk than if you were to, obviously you can't serve a whole nut to a baby, but it goes beyond the surprise goes beyond the idea of serving the actual food. It's just mind blowing to them just because of the way that infant feeding has been approached for so many decades. Exactly. And I think like something that you said when you first started answering this question was, food allergy prevention. And I don't usually hear it termed that way. And I, I think the fact that it's said like that changes the dynamic of the entire thing. Cause it's not what we're yeah. used to seeing. Like, you're right. Like you go into like a school setting and it's like posted outside, like this is a nut free building or something like that because of the allergies. And when I was growing up, I'm not trying to age myself here, but like <laughs> we went to school with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and nobody was like, we're in a nut free zone. Like, I don't know what happened to the kids that had these allergies because I don't re even remember that being an issue back then. Well, for sure, the prevalence of food allergy has increased. I, I, think, I think it's around by 50%. This was back when allergen intro was being pushed off. The recommendation was to push mm -hmm. it off a year, two years, even three years 
during that period of time, the prevalence of food allergies increased by, by 50%. So, so we, we were wrong. We were, every, we were definitely, that was not the right approach. But now that we know that it's also, there's also a lot we don't know, unfortunately, and food allergy prevention as a term is tricky because I, people will reach out to me and say, well, I did all the things I, I introduced all all of the allergens during infancy. And my, my child still has food allergies. And the thing is, it's not a guarantee. We can reduce the risk of the development of food allergies, but there are still babies, even if you do everything quote unquote, right, that are going to develop a food allergy to certain foods. So, and that's hard to, that's hard to um, absorb and to accept. Exactly. And the thing is, you just never know. It's kind of like going to the dermatologist and saying, Hey, will my daughter get acne? You don't know, like some will, some won't, some don't have an issue with it. So you you can't, but I think like it goes back to that awareness, like what you're doing, which I think is so fantastic is creating awareness. And as you continue to create more awareness is that as this research continues to come out, we can only improve upon what we're doing. Yes. Yes. I hope, I hope yes. that's the case. That's my, my mission and my, what mm-hmm. gets me up in the morning and, you know, c- c- keeps my heart beating the thought of yes. that, how, how many people we can help with this important information. Yeah. It's amazing. And speaking of that, I would love to hear a story or an example showcasing your work. If you want to share with our audience today. Oh, that's so nice. Gosh. Well, so when I wrote my book, simple and safe baby led weaning. It really, it, it came out and then the pandemic hit and the whole world shut down. Yeah. And it was really interesting because that was at a point where everybody was isolated and new parents. Whereas, you know, I, when I had my babies, I would put them in the bucket seat and go sit with a friend and have coffee. And when it was time to feed them, you know, you, you could, you could, you had your village at your fingertips and you could share knowledge in person and feel like you were part of a community. Well, that all was lost when the the pandemic hit. And so my Instagram sort of started to grow as I was sharing information from the book and about the book and people started sharing their experiences and their babies with me in videos. And it kind of became a little bit of a, of a virtual village, if you will. And I received a message, a DM from a follower, it was the sweetest thing. And I'll never forget it. She said, she DM'd me and said, I, I really appreciate all the advice. And I loved your book. And I, I, it's my, it's my, it's on my counter every day when I feed my baby. But I, what I really wish is if you could just come and sit in my kitchen and hold my hand every time I sit down to feed my baby. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I wish I could too. And that really was what inspired me to create my online course, which is based on the book. And that, that was the closest I could get to jumping into everyone's kitchen and <laughs> sitting down with them and holding their hand while they feed their babies. So that's been a real joy to create. And that's been out for, I, don't know, I think about well, close to a year, almost a year. And it's really been lovely to, to hear people's feedback from that as well. But I, I love these. I really love these touch points and, and connecting with parents and followers and clients in that way. It's, it, it's just such a wonderful part of what we do. Yeah. And I think that, that, that co- particular content, when they start engaging like that and they come forward and they say, here's my story. And then you're sharing that 
that just makes us all more connected. And I think that there's nothing that you can do that's better than that. And you're it just makes for more engaging content. Like you want to go on and you want to say like, oh, what's Melina up to today? <laughs> <laughs> or or the babies, people send me really wonderful videos and pictures of their babies eating. And I find it to be one of the most joyful, yeah. like delicious parts of this whole world is that I just love watching a baby eat and listening to their little munching sounds yes. and seeing them make a mess. And it's a very fleeting time in parenting, as I'm sure with your, your four-year-old daughter, you can, you can relate with it's, I mean, it's, it's over. It feels like it's never going to end when you're in the middle of it. And then it's over. <laughs> right? The infant feeding yeah. part. <laughs> so yeah, that I think that connecting through food is one of the most important lifelong gifts we can give our kids. And then just that's like, just watching it and the smile that it brings to your face, you cannot watch it and not smile. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in that age group. Like if I'm watching like my grandma meet that, that may be a little different a different story, but yeah, <laughs> a lot slower than the babies. She doesn't have as much joy. Like they're just, everything is new to them. So they're just it's that, that excitement's present. It's true. So sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could give one bottom line takeaway for our audience today, what should they do or be aware of? Well, in speaking, you know, directly to healthcare practitioners, I think one of the things that has done more harm to families than good is the idea that you have to choose between baby led weaning or finger foods and purees, that there's team baby led weaning and there's team purees and there's, you know, two completely separate ways of, of starting solids and neither the, neither shall they meet anywhere in the middle and almost pitting them against each other. And the truth is there's, there's no need to choose between baby led weaning and purees. Purees should actually be a part of any baby led weaning journey. You can definitely feed purees the baby led way by preloading a spoon and handing it over to the baby if that's what you prefer. But puree is an important texture just like any other. And I think, you know, baby led weaning became very trendy and it was something that everyone sort of got all excited about. But in doing so, they kind of vilified purees in a lot of mm -hmm. different camps. So it, it just has ended up stressing parents out because baby led weaning is great and finger foods are great, but it's not right for every baby. And it may not be right for every baby at any given time. Like some days finger foods are working really well. And some days a baby is going to just do a lot better with purees. And there can be a thousand different reasons why that's the case. And so if we can just as practitioners come together and meet in the middle and let the evidence speak for us in, in a way, which is that there's no evidence that a combined approach to feeding is detrimental and help families by guiding them toward the method of infant feeding that's going to be best for them and their baby, then we're going to be helping rather than dividing. Yeah. We don't want to divide. And the thing no. I heard that was so great in this is you don't have to choose. You can do both. Could do both. You Absolutely. Don't have to make a decision. <laughs> Absolutely. I know. I love it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so many so things much. in life like that, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for that. I want to end today with a just a fun lightning question round. 
And I'm going to pick the topic of, because it's fall here as is of, of this recording, what is your favorite fall beverage and why? Ooh. Okay. I am a tea lover, lover of tea. So anything sort of red rooibos tea or chai tea, anything with spicy flavors gets me super, super pumped. <laughs> yeah. It's a good time of year for the chai. Thank you. Yes. I love it. I love Especially it. in the morning. How about a fun kid Halloween story? Oh gosh. Okay. When my girls were really small, I had this little train. It was like a, a, it was a wagon, but it had three separate compartments. And I lived in a neighborhood where it was just Halloween was complete and utter mayhem. It was mayhem. <laughs> and so we would just be like pulling our, our girls in this little three prong wagon from house to house. And <laughs> we pulled up to this one house and there was a guy sitting in the front who had, he, he always had a costume on with gloves that looked like claws and it, he was terrifying and he would sit in a chair completely still and when the kids would pop out of the wagon and they would toddle over he wouldn't move until they went to try and take a piece of candy and then he would jump and like scare them <laughs> and after a year or two of this my youngest daughter refused to get out of the wagon she would like bury herself deep into the wagon when we got to that house because she was absolutely terrified of this guy and he loved it. He just, he lived for terrifying children, which just <laughs> kind of makes me laugh. Just thinking about it to this day. Well, so do they, funny. so did, did they still go trick or treating? Like, is, do you know if he's still doing his, his thing? He, well, so I don't live in that neighborhood anymore. So I haven't seen him in a while, but I would, I would be surprised. I mean, I think this was the highlight of his whole year. Oh, it was so cute. <laughs> you know, where people are, are so precious around kids sometimes, like it was just so funny that he, he was, he was very, very determined to scare as many children as he could. Yes. That's like, that's, he lived, he, Halloween was like the day he was like, yes, that's my favorite day. This <laughs> <laughs> was so weird. Oh, that's great. <laughs> All right. One more question. What is your favorite orange food? Oh gosh. Oh, there's so many, Lisa. How can you make me choose? Oh. You can pick, pick two then. How about that? There's so many. Oh gosh. All right. How about I pick some that are really great for babies? Okay. In particular. So sweet potato is a, such a great first food. You could eat it in so many ways. And one of my favorite, favorite combinations for me, as well as for a baby, <laughs> is to take some almond butter and roast a sweet potato and then take, remove the skin and mash the sweet potato and mix it with the almond butter. I don't know what it is about this combination, but awesome. it is divine. So sweet potato, very soft, ripe, soft, ripe cantaloupe is a great early finger food for babies when it's really super soft and squishy. And pureed pumpkin is another, I mean, obviously here we are in fall, but pureed pumpkin, just that beta carotene can't beat it. Oh, I, I'm not a baby, Melina, but I'm going to be trying that sweet potato 
with the almond butter combination that you mentioned. Well, when you do, please tag me. I am obsessed <laughs> and I will be so excited to see that you are enjoying it as much as I do. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your insights with us. My pleasure. Thank yes. you for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Yes. So I will share all the resources and links we discussed today. And thanks for listening to our audience. And please tune in again and share your comments and feedback on our site. Have a great day and enjoy a healthier lifestyle with the 411 in mind. For more nutrition content, visit consultant360.com. 